0: Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Um, This is a special episode of the Vegas Gang podcast that we're recording on Saturday, March the 10th. Um, typically The Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show, but, um, over the course of the past, well, started almost a year ago now, uh, we've been doing special episodes where each person that was, a, that contributes on the show would get an interview. So, um, I did interviews with Chuck and Dave and I fortunately got to do Jeff before, um, before, unfortunately, he passed away, so I was really glad to do that. But I needed to find some way to do my own interview and uh, instead of asking myself questions which i I actually briefly considered um, as a uh, exercise in ridiculousness, um, but I abandoned that quickly as I realized it was only funny to me. Um, what I did was I thought, well, I could get one of the other guys to do it, but you know how do you pick and Uh, I didn't want anyone to feel um, slighted or uh, wasn't sure how to do that. So I thought I should go out and should have somebody else do the interview. I'll find someone else to do it. And it was an obvious choice. I'm really glad that uh, this fine gentleman agreed. Um, I'm really happy to say that we have uh, Tim Dressen of Five Hundy by Midnight is going to be doing the interview today. Hey, Tim. Hey, Hunter. Um, Thanks again for agreeing to do this.
1: It is my honor and quite frankly, uh, a a uh, dream come true.
0: <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> um, so I guess with that, I'll just let you take it away. You're kind of in charge now. Uh, so, yeah, I um, I seed the floor.
1: All right. I will uh, take over ownership of Vegas gang now. Good. And uh, I have a stack of James Lipton-esque blue cards here. Oh, nice. That's about six inches high, so we're going to be here a while. Get hey, you know,
0: I've got a really great chair, so I'm good to go.
1: Fantastic. All right. Well, before... Getting into the many questions I have for you on your Vegas media empire, I want to start at the beginning. I need to know where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? What's the story of Hunter's sure. youth?
0: Sure. Um, I am a native Californian. Uh, I was born here in Santa Barbara, actually in a, a little town north of here called Galita. But I've lived in Santa Barbara most of my life. Not my entire life. Um, had a couple stints elsewhere, and all sort of. If I do it chronologically, I'll explain those. But um, most of the time I've been here, I grew up here. I'll be, let's see, I'll be 33 in July. So um, most of that time has been spent here. Uh, I have a a younger brother. He's two years younger than I am. And uh, yeah, so ended up growing up in a pretty nice spot. Definitely can't complain about that. When I was, let's see. When I was six or seven, we lived in England for a year um, and so I spent some time there as a kid uh came back to the united States uh, i hate i didn't at that point I was too young to really to really um feel like I was sort of ripped away from life but came back to the u s we we went back and we lived in England again when I was in sixth grade and at that point, my dad was a an, uh, serious Anglophile and um, studied theology. And so he was studying at Cambridge. And so that's why we were doing these trips. Hmm. And um, I we went, went back when I was in sixth grade and stayed for another year. And at that point I was getting old enough where I was – very irritated to, <laughs> uh, be taken away from my friends. And it's like, you know, this is the ultimate first world problem. Like, uh, you know, California kid is forced to go live in Europe and see amazing things, right? It's wah, wah, wah. Um, feel very sorry for me, but you know, I was, however uh, you, old you are when you're in sixth grade. And so I didn't really realize that it was actually a great opportunity, but in, in retrospect, um, you know one of the things that I did get to do a lot as a kid because my parents were really into travel was to see a lot of different places all over the world and um now looking back on it i really uh, I really appreciate it and i uh, feel very lucky to have been able to do that stuff so at the time it wasn't my favorite thing but uh it looking back it's it's pretty awesome especially when i get i for a couple of years ago i um for a Christmas gift for my mom, I, I took a bunch of her old photos and had them all digitized so she could see it, use them on the computer, right? Because these days, if you don't have photos on your computer, they're kind of – you never look at them <laughs> or right. at least I don't, right? They're in a box and you never you never look at them. So I was like, okay, um, I'll take a bunch of these pictures and get them scanned. And it was awesome for me too because I get to go back and look through all these photos of like me and my brother in Egypt like riding camels and uh, just a lot of really cool stuff.
1: Oh, wow. That's cool.
0: That uh, – yeah, that I – um, that now I'm very, very, uh, feel very fortunate to have been able to do. So anyway, um, came back from that, spent junior high school here in, uh, in Santa Barbara. And then when I was going to be a freshman in high school, um, it looked like my dad was take, was going to take a job in, uh, well, he did, he took a job in Virginia. So we moved, we moved to, uh McLean, Virginia, which is just outside of Washington, um, for those that don't know, my school actually was right next door to the CIA. Uh, and so it looked you – know, the plan was to stay there and to live there and, you know, we have now moved just like people do. Uh, and it was okay. That, that move was a lot tougher for me. You know, being a freshman in high school especially, it's like I was very – felt very um, connected to whatever my social circles. And it was – I was one of those, like, hate your parents kind of moments where I can't believe you're doing to the, this to me kind of thing. Um <laughs> You know, I made a lot of really good friends when I was there, and so it was definitely ended up being all bad. But it turned out that none of us really liked it very much. We didn't – while it was okay, we didn't really ever settle in. And as it turned out, we ended up moving back to Santa Barbara um, a year later. Uh, It was not what we expected to do, but um, it just sort of the way it ended up working out. So, hey, I was back and um, finished high school and then – went to UC Santa Barbara, which is here also, you sort of sensing a trend here. Um, <laughs> I, and I, you know, I don't, I, I applied to a bunch of different schools and I got in a couple of other places. And for whatever reason, I don't even don't really remember my decision making process, but I decided that I wanted to stay here. Ultimately. I think that was probably not the best place for me. I think I should have gone off someplace or gone to a different school. Cause I really hated, uh, the uh, whole college thing. But, um, you know, ended up doing that. Took me forever; felt like forever to get finished. I didn't finish in four years. I was working the whole time, so I, I, the entire time I was in school, I was having this internal debate: like, I, what am I doing in this class? I could be working more and making money. I, I'd rather be working. I just, I just didn't. I don't know. I just did. It didn't gel for me like it does for a lot of other people.
1: Sure. What What were you going to school for? Mm.
0: That's a good question. Um, I so. Pretty much my whole life, I've been interested in computers. I remember when I was, um, I don't know, seven or eight, my grandfather, who was super into electronics and um, was sort of nerdy for his day, uh, he had gotten into computers, and so he showed me his uh, Commodore 64, um, and I just thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. Like, we had computers in school... But they were – you know, we only had a couple of them, and um, it was just sort of when they started to put computers into school. So there weren't that many, and of course, they were not great computers by any stretch of the imagination. It wasn't until I actually got to spend um, more time with one that I really just got totally hooked. I mean, just – completely, uh, absorbed all of my focus. And so, uh, that's something that stuck with me all through, all through high school. And so when I went to college, I, uh, I started as a computer science major and, um, I didn't really know what computer science was actually in terms of a a discipline. I just knew that I like computers. And so of course I'm, it sounds like a, sounds like what I should be doing. It turns out at least in a lot of uh, a lot of universities. Computer science is, you know, it's a it's a very um, theoretical discipline. It's really learning about sort of the idea behind um, how how computers work, and and I mean that in terms of like algorithms and like for instance, we didn't. You would think in computer science classes you would use computers. Oh no, uh, you took your wow. you know you took your tests uh, on paper with a pencil, right? So that so, that so kind was more, of an idea. It was
1: more like it was more theory than actual. Programming.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some programming, but they try and teach you. They try and teach you theory, and 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 there and I don't want to make it sound like that stuff isn't important because I still do use some of that in my career, but it just wasn't what I imagined when I originally started. And so I was thinking to myself, about a year and a half into it, uh, I was like, I might, I'm not really happy with this. This is not fun. Like, I I love learning about technology stuff, but I don't. This is just not. This is not what I was imagining. So um, I actually switched my major at that point to uh, economics. And it ended up being a good decision, I think, for me because I was able to pursue all of my uh, technology stuff outside on my own time and learn the stuff that I was interested in. But at the same time, I learned how businesses work and you know how to read a balance sheet and all that other stuff, which has actually turned out to be really helpful for me because I can uh, sort of communicate in both languages to some degree. Um, you know, I had to take a bunch of accounting classes for that. And so I learned basics of how accounting works. And, and so it's, it's given me a bunch of sort of bedrock knowledge that, uh, has actually been really useful for me as I have been in my career doing software stuff. So, uh, I graduated as a, as an economics major and, um, I think, you know, it's definitely not, uh. Super amazing, interesting, set the world on fire type stuff, but I think it's actually been been useful for me over time.
1: I can see how that how that might have uh, influenced your. Um, well, we'll get into it later on, I guess, when we talk about some of the the Vegas stuff. But I, knowing that you you have an economics background it explains a little bit about your interest in the business side of of Vegas. Then,
0: yeah, I think so. I mean, I've always found that stuff at least can be interesting, right? It also can be incredibly dull depending on um, what aspects you're, you're talking about. But uh, I think – <laughs> I, I don't know. Some of that stuff I do find maybe strangely interesting. Like um, I love seeing how people have put their companies together. Like I remember when Wind Resorts went public, there was a chart of – all of their subsidiaries and how they all work together for some, I find that kind of stuff fascinating the way that they structure their internal operations sure so yes i mean that's probably a strangely geeky thing to be interested in but yeah i think those things are somewhat connected
1: oh well, that makes sense so in somewhere in in this time frame i'm guessing you made your first trip to vegas
0: uh yeah so i get this question a lot right so people they find out that I have the website at, or they find out about the app. Um, and of course they start asking questions and after they ask if I can get them deals, um, the second thing, they, <laughs> <laughs> is, how can I get a free room? That's always the first question.
1: I get that um, a lot too.
0: I'm sure you do. Uh, the second question is sort of like, Oh, so you must be super into gambling then. Right. Uh, that's sort of the assumption. Yeah. And, and so that kind of dovetails into, you know, how I got interested in it and, you know why what are my motivations for uh my what's the motivation for my interest and um i do like gambling but that wasn't how, that wasn't how things got started i the fir- I, of course was aware of las vegas and knew that it existed in the sense that it was you know a city in nevada where uh gambling was legal but i had no interest in it at all like i i was aware of its existence but that was about it i didn't know anything about the history i maybe knew the names of some of the big hotels, but, um, as a, you know, high school kid and college, oh, well, I I went, first time I went, I was 17. So I was high school, high school kid. Uh, but I didn't really know anything about it. So it turned out that, um, I went with, uh, my now wife, uh, to a dog show that was happened to be in Las Vegas. I don't know how this ended up being. She ended up she somehow got roped into having to go to this thing. And so I went with her and I thought this would be interesting. So um I remember this vividly, because I had no idea what we were in for and we were driving from California. And I, I distinctly remember um coming over the hill when you're on the 15, anyone that's driven this will know this, especially at night. And you see Prim for the first time, which is sort of the first thing that you see after a lot of empty desert. And I remember asking her, like, oh, is that Vegas? Uh, no. <laughs> that, that was how clueless I was about what I was in for, right? I mean, it was like I had no concept of what was going on. So, um, I remember that first trip, uh, we stayed, let's see, I think we stayed a couple, two different places, if I remember correctly, it was New York, New York, and then Luxor. And this, this would have been 1997. So uh, I remember walking past the Bellagio before it was open. The lake was, uh, I think, empty at that moment. It was just like a dusty bowl. You, know,
1: um, you, you must have been there fairly close to my first trip, which was March of 97, because same memory of walking by Bellagio. And it seemed like the walk past Bellagio took forever right. because there was nothing there but that empty lake bed.
0: I think it was maybe February or March. So, yeah, right around the same time. Um, and I was, just, I just remember being like, wow, what is this place? This place is amazing. And I think it was a combination of, I saw the, you know, at that time, the, the Bellagio's construction was a big story because it was such an expensive building. And, um, there were a couple places that were going to be following it pretty, in pretty short order, like the Venetian and Mandalay Bay and Paris a little bit after that. And so I, I my, it piqued my interest. I started, I once I saw the scale and sort of the vastness of these places, um, I started to – wanted to learn more about how they worked and um, sort of how they were operated and h- how much money they made. I was fascinated by the idea that you could build a 3,000-room you know, hotel that had a volcano in front of it and that somehow that was profitable, that there was some way that the math worked out in a way that made sense. I I had never really even seen anything like it. And that there were all of these places next to each other, right? It wasn't like this one random hotel. It was this whole strip of hotels. And that this whole puzzle fit together in a way that made sense. It was really kind of blew my mind. And mm-hmm. of course, as you start learning more about Las Vegas, and you learn more about the people that built the town and run these places, I mean, there's some pretty colorful characters and some really great stories. So if, if once your interest is peaked, you kind of you can go down the rabbit hole pretty deep, right? And And uh, it just gets <laughs> – you just keep building up steam. And that's sort of what happened for me. I just – I got more and more interested and and sucked into the whole um, the whole concept. And so uh, I made a couple more trips. At that point, I was working for a company doing some IT stuff. And for a long time, the Condex convention was every November. And so I convinced them to start sending me to that. And so I was making more regular trips and there was another – convention in the spring for networking, computer networking stuff. And so I started going to that too. And that was sort of like how I got, I, I got them to uh, bankroll a bunch of my trips, basically got them to send me a couple times (laughs) a year. And I used that to check out different hotels and, and I wasn't 21, right? So I was, uh, I couldn't gamble. And so I was basically just cruising around, like checking stuff out, taking photos and, um, and just and just looking around, I didn't start the website until um until two thousand, but uh I was just checking it out. I just got totally sucked in by the whole the whole concept and that feeling that feeling you get when you walk onto a casino floor it's you know it's it's there's a electricity about it that is unmistakable anybody that has that likes casinos that spends time that has spent time in one I'm sure you know what I mean. Um, it's just kind of amazing. And that's and that's what's so fun about it, right? It's not – you can play Blackjack on your computer at home if you want. That's But the reason it's fun is because of the environment. It's just – it's electrifying. And I, I really got hooked on that whole concept.
1: That's one of the first things that struck me too when I started going was just how um, having never been there before, I instantly felt comfortable. Like the environment right. of being in a casino, it felt comfortable and it made you just want to explore and want to just be there. I think
0: you know it's interesting you say that. Some people might disagree with me, but I feel like in a, in a lot of ways, Las Vegas casinos are good equalizers in that sense. The only thing that they seem to really care about is how much money you have. Like if you you could be like the the dirtiest, most sketchy person in the world, but if you have a bunch of money, they're happy to roll out the red carpet for you, right? It's it and in that way it's, it's interesting in that you know they don't. There are a lot of other parts of the world and places where other characteristics of, you know, maybe your background or, or your, uh, hereditary aspects or whatever may play into how you're, how you're welcomed in Las Vegas. It's like anybody's welcome as long as, as long as you, uh, are, want to, you know, participate in the whole economic engine. And, and I think, you know, obviously, um, it's not as, you know, it's, if you're, if you don't want to spend any money, Las Vegas may not be uh, a very fun place to spend your time. Right. But, um, I, I find a certain pureness in that, that, that it's very upfront. It's like, yeah, well, we're here to make money. And if you have, you know, X dollars and there's a sort of a continuum there, obviously, depending on what activities you want to participate in and what you want to do, uh, how much money you think you need to spend. But I think in some ways it's really honest, um, Mm -hmm. because it's just like, Hey, we're here, you know, we're providing this experience and you can feel free to partake and if, you know that 's the only thing we care about is if you want to you know participate or not so i 've always sort of thought it was an interesting
1: concept oh absolutely so you you mentioned that in two thousand you started the website rate vegas yeah so how did that ha- how did that happen? How did you get the idea for it? How did you decide <laughs> i want to do this
0: sort of happened by accident um, i uh, so career wise at this time i was um doing more and more actual programming I'd been working in uh, IT for a long time doing um, administration stuff and uh, running networks but I wanted to do more and more actual building of things programming programming stuff and so I was um, the web of course was ramp- at that point you know the web had gone from being a scrappy nothing to becoming you know incredibly important and was really accelerating in that time period it was a really exciting uh, time on for internet stuff. And, um, I wanted to do, I knew that I wanted to do more web programming and I was looking for some kind of project. I, I didn't want to just, um, I w- I wanted a real project, something that would actually be sort of tested and would evolve based on real people's feedback, real people using it, not just some proof concept that would you know sit in my garage. I wanted something real. So I was trying to figure out what I should do. And my, you know, I was interested in Las Vegas and I was, the interest was growing and I was interested in doing a, some kind of a programming project. So I thought, huh, well, what about some kind of a rating site for Las Vegas? It would let me, um, you know, learn some of these programming concepts, uh, in more detail. It would let me think more about, about Vegas stuff. And, um, so what I decided was if I can find a good name, I'll do it. <laughs> so yeah. I found the domain name. I was like, well, RateVegas, how about that? And it was available. And uh, so I snagged it, and it sort of went from there. Um, I, I think that was you know maybe the first part of 2000. And then a few months later, uh, the very first iteration of the website went up. And it's been through many, many revisions since then. But uh, yeah, that's basically... There was no real grand plan. It was sort of definitely an accident. Uh, and... At that point, it was uh, a very—it was definitely a hobby. I I still sort of refer to it as a hobby on steroids, but uh, it—it was sort of happened by accident.
1: Well, that was—you know—now it's pretty common for websites to to be centered around user content, user generated content. But in 2000, that was not super common, like it is now.
0: I know. Should be rich. I've been robbed.
1: I know, you're ahead of your time. So, um, um,
0: yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, of course, there are incredibly huge TripAdvisor and Yelp, and, you know, it, the concept has been done and expanded upon, and really, it's you know, in some areas, it's, it's now huge.
1: So when launching, was it a challenge to get people to submit <laughs> yeah. their reviews? And how, how it, <laughs> is it still?
0: Uh, well, that's, of course, the chicken and egg thing, right? With a, With anything that requires user-generated content, it's... It's, the site 's not interesting unless it has any, and so it 's really tough to get people to want to submit stuff it It was really hard at the beginning i I wrote a lot of reviews myself and I, I just tried to just I was trying as many hotels and restaurants as I could, so I was seeding it with my own stuff okay um, and i've definitely found a couple of enthusiastic people that were that would write a bunch of stuff, but it was it was a slog i mean i don't i 've never graphed it out, but if I took all of the reviews and did some kind of a distribution based on time. I bet you it would show a very slow ramp at the beginning just because of the sort of the basic numbers of people visiting. But nowadays it's actually pretty easy mostly because the iPhone app um feeds into the site. So at this point it's something like 80 20 reviews come from the iPhone app. Okay. Uh, it's and and now it's ramped up a, a good bit. I mean there's some days when there's a ton of new of new comments. So um, it's less of a problem now, but of course it's always getting people to participate. I mean, the, the number of people that look at it versus the number of people that participate is like maybe, you know, 5%, 10%. I mean the it, most people just browse and don't ever add any of their own two cents.
1: <laughs> sure. That's probably fairly normal with any yeah, I think so. site like that.
0: But it is funny. I mean, people like to express their opinions and they like to tell you when something is terrible and most of the time, you know, it seems like. People are more inclined to write reviews when they've had a really bad experience. I guess maybe they want to punish the place um, by, uh, you know, by sharing their terrible story with the world. Though, of course, like, we get our fair share of uh, of good reviews as well. I mean, when the site first started, I let you rate like everything: uh, the rooms, the pool, the bathroom. I mean, there was like a million categories. <laughs> it was total overkill, right? Nobody wants to sit there and cl- click through. Uh, a bunch, a, a thousand little buttons, right? So now it's been way pared down to just being a, a simple scale. But because I, I was thinking, man, this is great. You want to write everything separately and get this really detailed matrix of all this information. And it's like, well, that sounds good. In But it, in theory, but in practice, nobody really wants to spend the time to, you know, click a thousand little buttons. And they're thinking like... Wait, the service, and then, I'm, and then I have to compare that, and the, the room, look, the rooms are four, but the bathrooms are three. I mean, that's just, it was way too complicated.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm wondering now, because of sites like yours, the reputation of, well, just about any product, service, destination, whatever, is dependent on what's being said about, about them online. So sites like yours are increasingly important, not only to the people who come and look at your site, but also to the casino operators, the hotel operators, the restaurant I'm wondering how often, how often you suspect or know mm-hmm. fake, fake reviews are coming in from the actual operators or yeah. people that they've hired to improve their reputation. Um,
0: yeah, of course. So this is a real problem. It's a huge problem, I think, for TripAdvisor and for Yelp, since they're like both 800 pound gorillas, especially TripAdvisor. Um, but it definitely happens to us too. Um, I have added a bunch of, uh, special checks that I do, um, to the review to try to flag these things. It's one of the, I mean, there are some people aren't very smart about it, right? They'll submit, especially they'll use They're using the iPhone app. They'll submit 10 reviews for 10 different places with 10 different names, and so it's like, okay, I mean... And, All from
1: the same IP address. Yeah,
0: and it's like, okay. So some of them are relatively easy to detect, and, and those don't make it onto the site. But sometimes it's the patterns are a little bit harder to pick up on at first. Like there was this thing where um, I don't. I still don't really understand what they were trying to accomplish. But the, over the course of like six months, they were leaving a strange pattern of reviews for the Joel Rubichon restaurant at MGM Grand. And uh, some of them were positive and then some of them were negative. It was like almost like they were having a a faux conversation um, Mm. over – it was very – I don't really understand what they were trying to pull off. But eventually the pattern became clear that these were not legitimate. And so uh, it is hard. It does happen. Um, Sometimes it's obvious when when someone's posting a review from IP addresses that are owned by a resort operator – uh, that 's typically a red flag those aren 't those aren 't always invalid, right, but sometimes it 's obvious that they are, and so I work hard to try and keep that stuff off it 's probably not perfect if someone finds a review that uh, that i 've missed you know of course, let me know it 's probably not quite as easy to do that as it should be now that I think about it but uh yeah it 's a problem it happens There was a really interesting article in The New York Times a couple of months ago someone 's doing actual research on this because it happens across outside of hotels too, like on Amazon, there's a huge raft of, of, of fake reviews that people leave on products. Um, because, you know, because this, these reviews have become really important. I know when I go to buy something, I'll on Amazon, for instance, I'll look at the reviews and see if there's a ton of really negative reviews. I mean, that has an impact on my decision. Absolutely. So it is important. And there's someone who's doing research on this. And basically I think they haven't published their, their, their work yet, but they were basically saying that this is incredibly common. um, and they were talking about techniques that they could use to reduce that. And, it, you know, it's an ongoing problem, I think, that, that all of these kinds of – any kind of site that takes user reviews is going to have. And we just try and keep trying to get better. But, it, it's yeah, it can be tough. Mm.
1: Well, I'm wondering now, one of the parts of the site is the 2 way Hard 3 blog. Was yeah. that part of Rape Vegas fairly early on or when did that come into play?
0: Uh, no. It was – I want to say 2004 or 2005. So it was um, four or five years into it. And uh so basically the deal with the blog was um a couple things. Uh one was one of my real one of the sub sub sections of Vegasishness type stuff that I was really interested in was the casino design, how just sort of and this still uh really interests me is just everything that goes into creating one of these places, right? So many millions square millions of square feet Someone's got to design them and furnish them and make sure that everything works properly. And I've always been really fascinated by that. And so um, I wanted a place that I could discuss that in a more free-form way. The main site is very structured, you know, hotel information page. It's got these restaurants. It's got these shows. It's got this info. You know, very structured. I wanted something more free-form where I could just write legacy stuff mm-hmm. and talk about... Um, Talk about casino design. So the original, the original idea was that it was a casino design blog. And it sort of... And a lot of the content was related to that. And it sort of morphed into including business stuff as well. Um, talking about financial results and other business type uh, dealings that were part of the whole idea. And the other reason I did it was honestly just... I figured if I was writing more, I would become a better writer. If I was forcing myself to do more writing, I should hopefully get better at it. And I don't know if that's been true or not probably debatable, but um, <laughs> it, I, you know I think anything like that the more you do it, the better it is, and the better you theoretically can get and especially if it 's in public or people you know people are going to see it uh, you you uh, you know hopefully spend the time to make it good. I think ultimately, my biggest problem with my writing is i i 'm not patient enough i always I really I want to get something out so bad that i don 't always I, I oftentimes give things sort of short shrift like I should spend more time working on them or, you know, oh, you know, let it rest a day and come back and edit it again. Cause it's always, it always ends up better when I do that. And I just, I, I oftentimes am not patient enough to get things out. And so I, that's a, a continual struggle for me, um, to suppress my urge to just post it. Uh, that can be
1: kind of one of the, uh, one of the pitfalls of the format as well, because there are so many other, depending on what you're writing about, but because there are so many other, especially Vegas um, blogs and websites, sometimes if you wait a day or two, you know, because you want to make it better, then there's six other places that have already covered it. Obviously, depending on what you're talking about, if it's urgent news or, you know, breaking news, so to speak.
0: So there's a balance there. Of course, I've, I've never felt the need, like there are definitely some Vegas blogs that, um, I assume they have a minimum posts per day quota because they just churn out a bunch of posts every single day, right? And it and that that's sort of the way that blogging as a business works. You know, you yeah. got to have a certain amount of a uh, of post per day, and you know, maybe you've got three or four writers, and they're getting paid by the posts, so you know they have incentive to write a lot of posts. I'm, I've never been interested in that. I in some, I from time to time, I have fallen into the trap of something is happening right now i need to comment on it right now um but i've scaled that back quite a bit i i think nowadays if i have something to say i will write something on it but if i don't feel like i have anything to add to the discussion then i won't there are a lot of really great blogs and websites covering las vegas now um and so if for instance if something happens and i read you know, something that Chuck writes and I agree with him a hundred percent, I don't really know what I'm going to write. I mean, I, I could link to it and say, you should read this. And you know, sometimes I do that, but I'm not, I don't, I don't need to express the same opinion that someone else are, that someone else is if we're in, in total agreement. So, um, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, there, there are a ton of those of sites that are doing that. I don't really do breaking news. You know, there have been a couple stories here and there over the course of the blog, but not very often. I don't, I'm, I'm no reporter I'm not. Uh, I'm not on a beat. I, I, it's just not what I do. So, um, you know, there are less sites doing that now. There are some. You know, one of the things I really liked about Steve uh, Freese's blog when he was doing it when he was in Vegas was he had you know really great contacts. So he was all getting breaking news all the time He wouldn't see other places. Yeah, which was cool. Um, but no, I, uh, you know, I will never devolve into the Robin Leachy way of doing things.
1: <laughs> there is certainly a market though for websites that have thoughtful commentary, and I think that's kind of more the The niche for two a hard three I
0: think there I think that there are i mean maybe it's a, maybe you know maybe it's a smaller market, but i just i i'm at that point now where I just write what I want to write, and I really don't care <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, one of the things that's evolved with two a hard three is the addition of other writers you had of course the late great jeff simpson and and you currently have Dave Schwartz writing for you um, what other you you also mentioned the evolution from being mainly a design blog to design and business. Um, do you see an, a continued evolution of the blog? Do you see it going in a different direction, or what what plans do you have for it?
0: Yeah. Um, so for a long time, it was just me. Uh, though even in the earlier years, I would have posts by you know folks like uh, Mike Chilson, who as a Vegas um resident for a long time you know he would do uh, he did a strip walk series for a long time where he would basically walk down the strip and take pictures and note what had changed in the various places and we're talking about like minute details like oh, oh he, the has ter- changed the color of this sign kind of details
1: yeah i remember that well and he had a tremendous eye for for crazy right. relatively small things that had changed and it's like wow that's that's amazing that somebody Right gets that, and it fit in really well with what you were doing with your blog at the time.
0: Yeah, and you know that was a really really popular column. People, uh, excuse me, people loved it, and I still get asked about it. Like, why isn't it there anymore? And people will say like. Are you and Mike, you know, did you have a falling out? No, nothing like that happened. Uh, Mike moved to California. And so, you know, I think now um, he's splitting his time, but he, you know, it's just, it isn't something that he has as much time for as he did at the time. So it has nothing to do with anything other than um, the constraints of, uh, you know, life. But um, yeah, it was that was I always really enjoyed those too, especially since I'm in California and I I don't get to see these things on a, as regular of a basis. And those are the kinds of crazy, weird details that I enjoy, just noticing the little tweaks that these people make uh, over time. And so, yeah, it was a very popular column, and anytime he wants to come back and do it, uh, he's he's certainly welcome. Um, and then, you know, Jeff Simpson he got laid off by the sun and I just, I couldn't believe that. I, I couldn't believe that, you know, here was this guy, this great writer with a lot of really great context, a lot of, um, a lot to say about Las Vegas and he wasn't going to have a place to do it. It just didn't make sense to me. Um, so I saw an opportunity and I said, look, I talked to Jeff and I said, are you interested in doing a, a column? And he said, yes. And so I, you know, that was ended up being great. He, uh, he basically just wrote whatever he wanted and and um, and it got posted. And then I think one of the great things about all of these different uh, different people posting stuff was – and even the stories that I posted as well – was the great community of people that would comment on these stories, right? So one of the best things about it, I think, about that, that blog is it's attracted a lot of really smart people that leave comments that – um, sometimes, you know, flesh out a lot of details that weren't obvious or, uh, have a different take on things or, or disagree or agree. Uh, and I think with Dave, I think, you know, he, he's been writing on his own site for a long time and he's since started a bunch of, a couple of other sites So he's, he loves writing. I think, I don't, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he's enjoying it more and more as he's doing it more and more. And, um, I think one of the things that, one of the reasons he wanted to start doing some, two-way writing also was because of the community, you know, get, engaging with people and getting those comments is really fun as a writer, you know, to get the feedback. And I think he saw it as an opportunity to, um, to take another crack at the community. So, you know, that's all worked out really great. As far as what's next, I don't know, you know, I've been in a little bit of a lull myself writing, uh, and just finding things to be, to write about. i that. I don't know what's going what's coming next. I, I think part of it is the, is the fact that nothing's being built in Las Vegas. That's always, you know, that's been such a driver um, at the entire time that I've been watching the city. Uh, it's been under some stage of fairly significant construction, and that's pretty much slowed to nothing. Yep. And that, I think, has had a direct impact on how interested I am in sort of the daily news flow. I mean, I still, every single day I'll read the sun and the RJ and, uh, I mean, I'm not reading the whole paper, but I'll look through them both every day. And I subscribe to a bunch of, uh, sites in my RSS reader. I mean, of course I read um, everything that's posted on Vegas tripping. And I listen to a bunch of Vegas podcasts like 500 and 360. Um, so I'm still consuming a lot of Vegas stuff, but I am, there's something missing in, in it for me recently, and I haven't quite exactly figured out what it is, but I think a big part of it is just that there's no next thing. I loved walking through a new casino for the first time. I loved doing that and seeing the choices that they made and how they put things together and trying to suss out information ahead of one of these openings and, you know, maybe if I'm lucky get a tour or... or I, I love that stuff. And um, And not having any of that on the horizon has deflated me at least a little bit for the time being.
1: It That's- is kind of a weird time right now because, you know, you and I kind of uh, started following a lot of this stuff up in 1997, and it has been nothing but new new casinos every year, sometimes a couple a year. There's always something on the horizon, and now it's uh, it, it's different getting excited about Link right. as opposed as opposed to a new aria you know a new city center something big so it's i i'm really curious what the next couple of years are going to hold as far as is it just going to be more kind of incremental little projects that hold our interest to some extent
0: i don't know i mean you know like link i do think is at least somewhat interesting and there's you know there's been a couple of smaller projects downtown that have been interesting to watch and um
1: but if those things were happening eight years ago
0: Oh, they wouldn't even get mentioned. Exactly, (laughs) right? I mean, Blink probably would because it's going to change the skyline, which I think is you know that. So it's big enough of a project that it probably would be mentioned. But yeah, you're right. I mean, nobody would spend any time really discussing them at any length. It would just be you know a a bookend to another conversation. Yeah. Um, I you know I don't know. Of course, there's potential for projects down the road like Fontainebleau and uh, you know there are a couple other strip properties that may, uh, be developed like Echelon or, or the Plaza or whatever that ends up being called. But those just seem so remote at this point that it's yeah. not even worth discussing them. I mean, you know, other than I saying, I'd love to see Fontainebleau torn down. i do not, it's just, I don't, there's doesn't, there's not enough. I don't know. It's missing something. I don't know what it is. So to, sort of to answer your original question, I don't know what's next. I love that Dave is writing stuff. On there, I have about ten different posts, signet longer posts that are in various stages of draft form that I just haven't finished. I part of it is just because I've been busy working on other projects, but it it uh, there's something missing in terms of the spark that that sort of fueled all of that work. Because you know this too, it's so much work to do this stuff on a regular basis, and it to keep that going, you need to have some kind of something powering that that's sort of greater than the, you know, the, the sort of basic, like, Oh, I got 10 cents when someone clicked on a banner (laughs) ad. Uh, it's gotta be something, you gotta really love it, right? It's gotta really come from someplace else. And whatever that was that has been powering this for so long, that reactor has, has dimmed a little bit, I think with the end of this massive construction boom. And you know, maybe that's temporary and maybe it's not, I I don't
1: know. It'll probably come back. I've found that since I've been doing this kind of stuff, it kind of ebbs and flows you know there there's some days where it isn't appealing anymore and right. then two days later something sparks my interest and I'm back into it sometimes it's not two days sometimes it's two months <laughs>
0: right the thing you know the other thing that I noticed was the way that it changed my the idea of going to Las Vegas i mean for a long time it was like a vacation and then there was a long period where it felt more like a job
1: that was my uh, next question, oddly enough, of how your trips have changed since you started doing this, and how your perspective on it has changed.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there the first the first couple trips were wide eyed wonderment, um, just couldn't believe it, and then you know, of course, that as you when you've seen the Bellagio for a hundred times, it's not as amazing as the first time you see it. You know, it's a beautiful place, but it's it never quite has the same impact.
1: You wander by the fountains when they're going off and kind of glance over.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's actually an example that's that I don't think I'll ever get sick of those, but I know, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Um, I, so it's it's changed quite a bit, and I think it continues to change for me. I mean, for a long time, it was a job. Like, oh, okay, well, we'll get it on Friday. I've got 250 pictures i got to take on Saturday. And, you know, and then we got to try this restaurant. And then, you know, it was very much like I am gathering content for my website, and that's why I am here. It is not because I am here to have a good time. And, of course, that was interspersed with a couple of other trips that were purely about having fun. I had it when I got married in 2004 – um, my friends threw me an epic bachelor party that I will not give any details of on this program. <laughs> but if it was... I, and I'm not really exaggerating, but it was literally could have been a movie. It was unbelievable. It was incredible. That I mean, I will never forget that. as one of the most amazing times I've ever had in my life. Uh, and, if, you know, that was in Las Vegas. So there were uh, trips like that. that were just a lot of fun that I didn't do any work. But most of them were very much like... I'm going. To, I have goals. I have a to-do list for my vacation, and not in a fun way. So, for a long time, it really did feel like a job. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because it's you know there are obviously way worse things than um, you know taking pictures of casinos uh, that people do to uh, to to get to get along. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm just complaining, but it does. When you mix the thing that you love. Sort of when you mix work and pleasure together, sometimes it can get a little bit murky, and um, I think that happened to me for a long time. But what's been interesting, I think, as I've been sort of doing a little bit less writing lately, is that I've been treating my trips there more like vacations recently, which has been fun. And I've actually been spending time in places where I where I uh, where I haven't spent as much time the last. T- uh, trip I went, I think I it was the last one or the one before. One, two trips ago, whatever. I spent most of my time downtown, which was great. I know that you, uh, you and Michelle have been spending more time downtown. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like in the height of the two thousands, like I would never. I mean, I would visit downtown, but I would, you know, I was like, I stay on the strip, man. Downtown, boo.
1: Well, we avoided it for years. We went there the first couple trips, and then we didn't go back for several years. Right. And, and yeah, so it's funny how how things change.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, for all kinds of reasons, right? I mean. It it's I've had a lot of fun down there. It's a very different vibe. But yeah, I mean that's just an example of, you know, the now I'm sort of re-exploring things with a different sort of in some ways a different set of eyes. Yep. But I still really I still enjoy it. I have a good time. Um I try and you know, I'm still I I like to take pictures of stuff and I I have I mean it's kinda sad because if you look at my iPhoto library, it's like Thousands of pictures of buildings and like three pictures of people, but um, you know it, that's you know, I get made fun of. My wife makes fun of me for that, but you know whatever. I I, I still really enjoy that. And I I find the buildings fascinating, and I, I still do.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm wondering what the what your relationship is with the Las Vegas PR machine. Do the hotels hmm. and casino companies do they try to make you their best friend or do they ignore you or what What is the interaction like there?
0: Yeah. Well, that's an interesting one too. It's because it's changed and I think continues to change. Um, when it first started, they, they, I don't think they, they didn't understand the internet at all. And they didn't think of it as important. And they still don't. Right. So you can definitely make that argument, but at the beginning, like they didn't, they really didn't get it. And, um, and you know, part of that was just because the numbers were a lot smaller. And so, you know, that was still the media environment has changed so dramatically since then. Um, So it started off with pretty much being ignored, though, you know, I could get some stuff out. I remember when uh, I first started the website, I wrote a letter to Mirage Resorts asking for press information. And I got this huge FedEx box back with press kits for every single property they had. At the time, you know, it was Bellagio, Mirage, Treasure Island, Golden Nugget. Um, And it was, like, these huge packets that had a bunch of 8x10 glossy photos. These, like, huge, like, they... Bought out of Kinko's. There was so much... These things were gigantic. You know, a a six-page bio on Steve Wynn, a 20-page bio on Bellagio. I mean, these things were these huge folders. I kept all this stuff for posterity because, of course, they don't do that anymore. Everything's electronic now. But um, it was just... It was really interesting. They would send that stuff out, and then that was pretty much all I could get out of these people. I I got a couple of interviews in the early days, but mostly they did not care. Um, And... It continued that way for a while. Um, at some point, it things got a little bit easier in as much as made some better personal relationships with some of the people that work in those departments, whereas they actually knew who I was. Um, and it wasn't just a random person on the phone, which helped a little bit. I mean, I got some good access in the, sort of the uh, the Encore City Center uh, opening time frame, some really good stuff. Um, you know, got to spend some time inside Encore before it opened. Got to tour City Center a month and a half before it opened. Um, and so that stuff was fun and got some better uh, better relationships. And, you know, since then, it's changed a bit, a lot. A lot. I mean, when, let's see, so that was maybe when did Encore open, 2008. Uh, at that point, there were folks running the um, Win PR department that were very tuned into and um very tuned into sort of the internet and what people were doing on social media and um and they I think saw an opportunity to reach a certain audience by talking to people like me and um, and Vegas tripping and other other uh, websites and that's changed completely and that's just they're just one company, but it's an interesting example because you know they had a fairly significant personnel change over there where they brought in a new property president and uh, from, you know, from the Harris organization and, and with her came a whole bunch of other new people. So it was a pretty massive shuffle. And now it's like, literally I can't get them to answer the phone. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it went from like, Hey, come to our, our media week where you basically, you know, you can, you know, run through the hotel and do whatever you want. And it's all, you know, taken care of to like, who are you again? Like I literally sent a question about room renovations and the PR person that answered—I don't even know who it was—she forwarded it on. To, I, I sent. Uh, yeah, it was a question about room renovations. She forwarded it to the room reservations department. So, I mean, she didn't <laughs> understand. I think she thought I had mistakenly sent it to their PR account. It was very strange. So that's that's an example of how of how things have changed. I think it you know it varies quite a bit property by property. Some of them are pretty tuned in. To that stuff, and and in some cases, it's like the organization might not get it, but they have a couple of really smart people working there that uh, that you can talk to. Um, so it it really depends. You know, what's interesting is that the iPhone app is way more popular than the website's ever been, and uh, but that doesn't seem to be on anyone's radar as far as trying to influence people through. Hmm. Like, I and I I don't know why this is. If it's just a numbers game, uh, it doesn't quite. Add up. Uh but it's interesting because and it may just be another case of you know, I've always considered the casino company to sort of be a little bit behind in terms always. of technology, right? So it may just be that they're catching up. But but uh you know the the iPhone app is is way more popular and um and it still it doesn't really uh it it feels like it felt in the early days of the website where they didn't really get it. They didn't understand why. I, I, how I was any different from just some random guy that had called them up to ask mm. for stuff right they didn 't see why it was in their in their interest to answer my questions or give me access to people but yeah in some there's been a couple of, of good... you know some of these people have been really helpful I did some great interviews with people like Anthony Marnell and Roger Thomas and the writer butler and and those were through a combination of you know personal contacts and helpful PR people so it really kind of depends but in general. I I do not feel lavished upon. I had a couple of interesting and fun experiences like that Encore Media Week thing I was talking about where, um, you know, I I sort of got a glimpse of what I think Robin Leach's life is like every day, right? (laughs) It's just like, uh, everything is taken care of, sir, please come in here. Um, So I I got a little taste of what it's like to sort of, of a casino attempting to sort of buy off the media with free stuff. Um, But that is by far the exception and not the rule, at least as far as I'm concerned. Sure.
1: Well, listeners to this show, of course, know you as the head gangster of the Vegas gang, but many of us know that Vegas gang was not your first uh, (laughs) first podcasting endeavor. Um, Some of us finally remember an earlier show you hosted. So I'm wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you got started in the podcasting world and how that first show evolved into this show.
0: Right, so I believe the show you're referring to was called the Worst Las Vegas Podcast.
1: That's the one, Uh,
0: yeah, that most people remember because of the ridiculous theme song. uh, That theme, calling it a theme song, is really being quite charitable. um, That uh, that accompanied it, but you know, podcasting for me was sort of the same reason I got started with the vlogging thing. I was like, oh, here's this new thing, sounds fun, love to try it. You know, let's see how badly I can butcher this. I have a microphone. What could go wrong? <laughs> so I, I did that. i like, well, what's the obvious topic? I'll talk about Las Vegas. So I did this sort of mostly one-man podcast, and I think I learned the same lesson you learned, which is one-man podcast, loser idea. No, bad, so bad hard. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's really you, – you, no one can listen to one guy talk for – it just is not good. Um, so – you just thought I'd try something and I figured, hey, I've got an audience already. Um, we'll see if they'll listen to a podcast. And so I started putting together these episodes. Didn't really, to be honest, didn't put a whole lot of work into them. They were very ad hoc uh, and just sort of whatever I felt like talking about at that moment. Did a couple of interviews. Um, I remember when Chuck was in Macau or when I think had he just come back from Macau. I can't remember if he was there or to just come back. But anyway, he had, we talked about his trip, uh, which was fun. But most of the time it was just me rambling. And, um, you know, it was not a great show. I've listened back to a couple of those episodes. I still have the files around, and I've listened back a couple times for fun. Uh, and, you know, they're pretty bad. But um, it was I had a good time doing it, so I don't have any regret. Uh, and it sort of... So I knew that I, I liked the idea of podcasting, but I also knew that doing one by myself was just not... It was no good. So I was trying to figure out what else... What, you know what else could I put together? And I'm a fan of shows like I watch Charlie Rose all the time, and I, I like discussion shows where people can actually like talk about issues in depth. And sure. there's not like a five minute, you know, you you watch an interview on the news and it's like they they're done before they get started. There's just no nothing. It's just
1: no no depth at all,
0: none at all. And I hate that. So I was like, well, let's try and do. I wonder if I could do some kind of a roundtable show. I wonder if I could get some of these people to participate. And I, you know, at the point, at that point, I, um, was friendly with Chuck, but had never met him. Um, you know, we were sort of, I think, had mutual respect doing internet stuff, but not what I would, would say were close friends at that time. Um, Dave, I barely knew it all. I knew him as the author of his book, uh, Suburban Xanadu, which, you know, I, when I found Dave and realized that there was, um, a, you know, an academic Writing about Las Vegas, I was like, "Wow, this is great!" So I co- instantly consumed everything that he had created at that bo- at that point. But I didn't know him well, um, and Jeff, I didn't know at all. Uh, Jeff, I uh, contacted out of out of nowhere. I was, I think, I was talking to Steve Freese, and I was saying, "Look, you know what? I want to do the show. Who do you think I could get?" And um, and he's like, "You should ask Jeff Simpson." I was like, "Huh? Interesting. I knew his byline, and that was it." Mm -hmm. Um, And I emailed Jeff out of nowhere And he's like, sure, sounds good, let's do it And then, of course, at the beginning of the Vegas Gang show We also had David McKee, who writes for the Las Vegas Advisor Uh, He's not on the show anymore But um, that was a similar thing Where we had traded a couple emails We were friendly, but didn't know each other very well And um, I just asked him I think basically all these guys said "Yeah, Well, you know, what what does it hurt? We'll give it a try And uh, it sort of evolved from there Uh, we just kept on doing shows and for a long time, it was like, you know, Jeff and, uh, Dave McKee would completely dominate the conversation. Right. (laughs) And and even after, after uh, McKee left, you know, Jeff would obviously, he was very good at, if you didn't stop him, he would go on for a long time. And he got, he, I think he became aware of that as time went on and tried to rein it in a little bit, but, you know, he's got a lot of. A lot of opinions, a lot of topics, and um, he would <laughs> – there were a couple of shows where there were long, <laughs> long segments where he would just keep on going for a long time. Um, and it's all great stuff, but yes. those. I mean – and so when they were both on the show together, uh, there they were – some of those early shows are funny to listen back to because they would they, – and they oftentimes didn't quite totally agree, so they would have these long, long sparring matches. It's a lot of fun. And it just sort of evolved from there. I actually the you know, the first time I think I'm pretty sure this is right. The first time I met Chuck in person was the first first podcast of Palooza. I mean it was like we had this the people on the show had like this definition of the sort of like internet relationship, right? It was like we literally had never met in real life before. Yeah. And it was all through um just what we had done what we had done online. So it was it was uh it's been an incredibly incredible amount of fun, and you know. So the show started, and I think at the beginning we were trying to do it every two weeks, and eventually we, you know, I part of the problem we had is that there wasn't always stuff to talk about every two weeks, so we 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 scaled it back. And I don't know if you have this problem with you, know, you do your show every week, if but I I, I decided that I, I didn't want to do it just on a schedule because. Because we had to. I wanted to do it when we had something to talk about. We sort of settled into about once-a-month rotation, um, which seems to work well for, for us at least. But I don't know. I mean, is that a problem for you guys, finding stuff to talk about, or is it uh,
1: not? Sometimes, sometimes. Part of the advantage we have is that it, a lot of it is is listener-comment-fueled. So mm-hmm. even if there's not a lot in the news, inevitably I'll have 15 voicemail messages right. uh, from people commenting on different things. So that helps a lot. Um, yeah, the great thing about the podcast format is well a couple things you mentioned being able to talk about things in depth you know there's nothing that says that it has to be right 30 minutes long it can be an hour and a half or two hours if that's where it goes and on the other hand if there's not a lot to talk about well you know what? we're going to do a 10 minute show because there's only a handful of things so that happens on occasion too but that's that's the nice thing about the flexibility of this you can do it how often and how long it just makes sense to do it. No, so. that's a
0: good point. I, I listen to a ton of podcasts. Like it's by far my primary I don't know, primary source of entertainment makes it. Same here. Doesn't sound I don't know if that sounds right, but I listen to a ton of podcasts. Like I if you compare it to how much I listen to way more podcasts than I watch TV or I mean it's by far the thing that I spend a lot of time doing. So it it I was glad to participate in it in some way, even if it's, you know, only doing an hour a month. It's still it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, so when when you started that the Vegas Gang podcast, did you kind of envision what it what it the format currently is? Did you or did it just kind of naturally evolve to the format it has now? And then, do you, what do you see for the future? Do you see yeah. it continuing to evolve, or is this kind of has it settled in? I found for for our show, we tried a lot more things early on, and now it's kind of settled into a, a pattern. And right. you know, we have different things from time to time but for the most part this is the format and this is what the format's going to be right um
0: yeah i mean when we first started i don't know if we ever anticipated doing interviews that sort of just happened but um it more or less it was just like we want to have topics and kind of do a free-for-all it was it's pretty it's pretty much uh it, it maybe was a little bit less a little bit more free form at the beginning and we've crystallized it a little bit more but um you know, we, uh, when when David McKee left, it was like, okay, so you know, what are we, we going to? What are we going to do? Are we going to keep doing it? Uh, or we weren't sure. We decided we were going to keep doing it. Um, at some point, we decided we were going to do some interviews, and honestly, that's been one of my very favorite things. I love doing those interviews. Uh, it's it's a ton of fun for me to talk to some of these people and and to get you know questions from everybody. And we've had some really great people that have been willing to do interviews with us. And that's been a lot of fun. So I, I want to do more interviews. Um, I always want to do more interviews. Sometimes it's hard to get people to uh, commit to doing them. I mean, I, Hmm. I think part of it is because especially at the bigger, since, since two companies run most of the strip and they're very corporatized, they're very aware of their messaging strategy. Yeah. They, you know, for the last podcast, the Palooza or the internet mafia family picnic event, they wouldn't give us some, somebody because they were afraid of what he might say. So it's like some of these people, the PR handlers that sort of guard access to these folks are worried about how free they will be to talk if they're off their talking points. And so um, we've run into some of that. We've had some people that have been very gracious with their time. And we had, I, I listened back to the interview that we did with Anthony Marnell uh, and I still can't imagine, I still can't believe how honest that guy was just about life and the tough experience he went through with his property and where he's now. I, I think that's a great interview. Like I'm really proud of some of those interviews. Uh, I think they came out, came out really well. Um, and the show is just a lot of fun to do. I think our format's pretty, pretty set. You know, of course our biggest challenge recently was when Jeff died and we were just like, what, what are we going to do? I mean, he was such a huge part of the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was really tough. And I, you know, I, I think we just decided that not to stop doing the show would be like the last thing that he would have wanted. And while of course it's going to be a different show without him to not do it because of that is, is not a, a good reason to stop doing it. You know, if if we have, if we no longer find it interesting or there are other things that prevent us from doing it, uh, then so be it. But to not do it because Jeff's not around anymore um, you know, I, I'm sure that he would not have wanted that and, and, and doing it without him does not discount the outsized role that he had in, in the show. I mean, just, you know, the, the epic rants that he would go on from time to time. And <laughs> I mean, a, you know, he, he was incredibly smart knew something about everything. I could basically, when I was drowning and didn't know where we were going to go next in the show, I could always throw it to Jeff and he always had something to say. So yeah. when I knew I had to fill another 10 minutes or whatever, cause we were with a guest or whatever reason I feel like, I I'll just ask Jeff. I know he's good. Like, you know, the word, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. He always could fill any amount of time that I needed him to fill. Um, you know, so that was the biggest question was what we were going to do. And we decided that we were going to, we were going to keep doing it. And, you know, it it's it's been a tough to do it without him, but it's you know, I think we'll we're finding our way and uh we'll we'll continue to hopefully make stuff that people want to listen to.
1: I can't imagine anybody would any regular listeners would have would see any fault in continuing to do the show. If so, then they that's their problem. But
0: well, no, we haven't gotten any negative feedback. I mean nobody's nobody said to us like I can't believe you're still doing it. I think well,
1: generally- as a general rule, the internet is a very positive place, and you're.
0: Really just- <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. Um, obviously, you're being sarcastic. Uh, you know, we yeah. we are lucky in a lot of ways. We we don't have we at least we haven't run into a lot of haters. I mean, they're it, at least publicly there. There, I've had a couple of altercations with people, or I've had people communicate with me offline and say things that I can't believe they say but um generally speaking uh you know we've got really great listeners that have been incredibly supportive and uh i i love i mean i love them i love doing it for them so we've we've been lucky like,
1: that's one of the great things about we we share a lot of the same uh, right same people and and it is a really good community and you know every once in a while when one of those idiots comes out of the woodwork to to spread their negativity, inevitably, um, the, the positivity that flows from the rest of the community is, is so overwhelming that you forget about it, or you let, you, you can let it let it go because you've got all these people who kind of have your back. You know, I
0: agree. I mean, and the fact you know we did those those three live events, um, and then we did this fourth one that was different, but you know, it's it was amazing to see the people that would fly across the country. To come to do, I mean, I'm sure you know we've talked about this privately, but it's it was it's amazing to think, and you know, honestly, there's a certain amount of pressure that goes with that, but uh, (laughs) it's amazing to think that these people love it so that you're doing something that people care about enough that they're going to plan a trip to come see you do it and participate in that community. I mean, that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty gratifying. Absolutely.
0: So I feel very lucky.
1: Well, let's talk about uh something that you've added to your arsenal in recent years and that is of course Vegas Mate, the iPhone app. How did app development uh how did how did you get into app development and and where does Vegas Mate fit into I guess your career evolution?
0: Yeah. Um in some ways it's uh it's the same story repeating itself in as much as uh you know the iPhone is Announced in January 2007, and it's released in June 2007. I was one of the people that waited in line and and got one the very first day. I, I'm a sort of – I hate the word fanboy. I think it's incredibly uh sort of dismissive. You call someone a fanboy, it's like I can ignore what you say because you're blinded by <laughs> some kind of allegiance. I really don't like that term. But I am a fan of Apple in as much as like, I've been a, a customer of theirs for a long time and um, – They've earned my trust through making products that I use and love. So in that sense, I'm a fan. But if you call me a fanboy, don't expect a good reaction. Uh, So, you know, I I had had the – I had gotten the original iPhone and I I really was enjoying it. And then I think it was maybe March of 2008, Apple had an event where they were talking about how they were going to create this thing called the App Store. And you're going to be able to – uh, create and sell apps for iPhone users. And so the announcement was in March and and uh, then the store opened, I think, at the beginning of July. So the iPhone 3G, this is 2008. So the iPhone 3G goes on sale and they open the uh, iTunes App Store. And so the day that they had announced uh, was what, what we programmer nerds call an SDK, which stands for Software Development Kit, the day they announced the SDK in March... Um, I knew that I wanted to do an app. I knew that uh, i I loved my iPhone. I wanted to be a part of this. I thought it was gonna be fun, be a great learning experience. I'm sort of a curious person by nature. so <clears throat> excuse me. So when something comes along that uh, I'm interested in, I want to learn as much about it as I possibly can. And um, so I started diving in to what it would take to build an app. And of course, you know I have this website. And so I'm thinking, what's the next logical thing I could do? Well, I could build a Las Vegas city guide app. This is perfect. You know, the iPhone's a, mo- a mobile device. People are on vacation. This is, it, this was the, probably the best fit for the concept out of all of the iterations through the website and, uh, everything I've done with sort of Las Vegas in technology through all this time period. This was maybe the best, the best fit. Cause it's like, you're going to take this information and, and use it on your trip when you, you, when you really need it. um, so I started digging in. I had never done – I had done a lot of other different kinds of programming. I would never done any programming for the Mac, which is sort of a cousin to the iPhone in terms of how the various tools and techniques. So I had a lot to learn, um, and I spent a lot of time in those months putting the app together. I wanted the app to be ready for the store launch in July, but I did not get it done in time. It just wasn't ready uh, they, so Vegas Mate came out, I want to say, August, mid-August in 2008, um, and, uh, the, you know, the very first version was pretty pretty basic. Some of the same ideas were there, and I, I uh, still have all my old screenshots and stuff, and I was looking through them the other day, and, you know, it's amazing how much it's changed. But it was, building the first version was a blast, and, um, you know, I, it was just so much fun. And... and i putting it together. I launched when when I found out that it had been uh, it gone through Apple, uh, the Apple approval process. They they look at all the apps before they are posted. And at the beginning of the App Store, the approval process was uh, a little bit more onerous than it is today. I mean, there are people. It was the kind of thing where you were nervous if you were going to make it. Now nowadays they may reject you for some for something, but it's really fairly easy to turn it around and fix it. But at the beginning, it was you know it was a new thing, and I had spent so much time working on it. I, when I sent it in for approval, I was like, oh, man, when did they get approved? So when I got the email saying that it was that it had been approved and it was going to go up in the store, I was uh, really excited. And, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. I remember the original version, I think, if I recall correctly, was priced at $4.99. Uh, and pricing it, you know, I had no idea what to price it at. And what the interesting thing about the iTunes store, especially at the beginning, is that nobody really knew what people were willing to pay for iPhone apps. And prices started off quite a bit higher than they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of apps were in the you know five ninety nine, six ninety nine, maybe nine ninety nine category. And uh, over the course of a few months, they quickly started to fall. Right. So now uh, ninety nine cents is far more common, if not sort of the norm. And then you know there are definitely apps above that, but uh, it's you know <laughs> free and between free and like three bucks is. Um, you know, by far the most common. So Vegas Mate started at five bucks, uh, and it was sitting at five bucks for a long time. Um, the app came out. I immediately, you know, it it sold okay at the beginning, not great, not bad. I mean, not bad. I, I do not really have anything to compare it to.
1: Was was Vegas Mate was Vegas Mate the first Las Vegas app?
0: It's a good question. You know, I don't know. Probably. I mean, well, it was like a month after the store opened. It was okay. definitely way I – I should know that, right? For, uh, <laughs> it was – it probably was. I, I can't say 100% sure, but I would be surprised if it was not. Um, there are definitely a bunch of other ones now, whether they're from casinos themselves or whether they're sort of uh, from people like independent publishers like me that are aggregating stuff. But oh. I, I think at the beginning, it was just I, – I don't know. I, I don't know how I could verify this, but I I believe that the answer is probably Yes. Uh, so, you know, I got good feedback. I added features. I went through a ton of revisions over those next months. I mean, it was like, I was having so much fun working on it. That was pretty much all I wanted to work on. So, you know, I, anytime I had an idea, you know, a couple weeks later, it would end up in the app and it went through many, many, many updates and people seem to like it. So then, uh, January rolls around and, uh, so 2009, and, you know, CES is always the first week of January. And so I decided, well, you know, I'll experiment. I'm going to do some experimentation with my price. I'm going to drop the price to $1.99, put it on sale this week. I know that there's going to be a lot of people coming into Las Vegas for CES. Uh, you know, maybe I can get some extra, capture some extra sales by discounting it, you know, telling people it's on sale and, and, they'll, uh, and they'll buy it. So I did that and the sales were like 15 times normal. Uh, they were way higher. They'd more than made up for the difference in the price. Uh, So it was immediately clear to me with my extensive background as a uh, professional economist that um, I had priced it incorrectly to begin with. It was just, you know, the five bucks was just not, I was above whatever the limit was that people were willing to spend. Um, And so, you know, my original logic in the pricing was, well, you could go buy a guidebook That you would buy at Barnes and Noble that would be like sixteen bucks. So this is five bucks as a deal, Um, but no one else thought that way, I guess. Um, So I dropped the price to two bucks on this sale, and it skyrocketed. It it just did so much better. So um, the sale became permanent, and it's been two bucks ever since. (laughs) So I took off the on sale uh, tag in the description, and now it's just two dollars. And it's you know it's um, it's. Uh, it 's been great it 's sold quite well i 'm still consistently uh, amazed. Part of it is you know Apple is adding iPhone and iPad customers so quickly that um, there 's just this endless supply of new people that, sure. that want to uh, that, that are on the platform that are want to buy the app so yeah, with through two thousand and nine some pretty significant um, upgrades to the app in terms of its features and functionality and then two thousand and ten rolls around in january in January two thousand and ten and Apple announces the iPad. Uh, and so the iPad is going to ship in March, I think. And so there's, a, there, we, you know, they say, okay, developers, you've got, you know, a couple months to uh, to bring your apps to the iPad. And so I was thinking, wow, okay, iPad. I was pretty excited about the iPad. Uh, and so I was like, I definitely want to do something on the iPad. And Apple has a couple options for app developers that are making apps. You can do uh, an iPhone app, an app that only runs on the iPhone or the iPod Touch. You can do an iPad app, an app that only runs on the iPad. Or you can do what they call a universal app, which is basically both combined into one. So with a universal app, the customer pays one time. And if they have an iPhone and an iPad, they can run it on both. Uh, and they don't have to pay twice. And it's just a single version of the app. And the other two are separate. And different companies, for different reasons, have decided to either make universal apps or apps that run on one or the other. So originally, I was thinking, I'm going to make an iPad version of Vegas Mate. I'm going to make Vegas Mate Pro. And it's going to be like the older brother of Vegas Mate that only works on the iPad. And it's going to be for trip planning. And it's the kind of thing, the, the idea is, so when you're at home, you use the iPad app and you use it to build your trip. And then when you go on vacation, you know maybe you're not you're not carrying your iPad around with you everywhere. So you use the iPhone version to... Um, uh, to look at the trip plan that you created. So that was sort of that general philosophy has continued on, but originally that was the idea that there were going to be two separate things. And so that's what I did. I created this iPad app, uh, that was in the, in the store on the day that the iPad went on sale. So it was definitely, I can definitely say it was the first, um, Vegas app for the iPad because it was like featured in the travel section on the first day because there like were no other apps. <laughs> nice. I mean, there were so few. I mean, I knew I wanted to be there on the first day because there were so few apps that it was uh, you know a good opportunity to get in front of a lot of people and hopefully sell a few copies. So I worked really really hard
1: to is get, be, it, is, get it done. is being first or, or at least early to market on apps uh, is, it, is it a huge thing or is that just only important for the first couple of weeks and then? After that it I, you started. know it's
0: hard to say there was definitely a really big gold rush when the App Store first opened in 2008 um uh, people that were in the App Store the very first day made a lot of money i don't think that necessarily lasted it wasn't there wasn't necess- didn't guarantee staying power but um if you're there at cert- at some of these bellwether events where sort of the floodgates open uh, i think you have potential to make money like for instance we've got one coming up and next week apple's going to ship a new ipad that has a new display that's Uh, you know, twice the resolution. So it's a higher definition display and there are going to be a a subset of apps that have been updated to take advantage of it. So not every iPad app is going to automatically take advantage of it. So this is a a smaller example, but another example of apps that have been updated for that um, on the first day will potentially get more attention than those that have not. And so like actually... When we're done here today, I'm finishing my update that that takes advantage of that because I'm hoping that I'll be in the store on the on the first day for that as well. So I think you know it's it doesn't the app store has gotten so big that nothing these days guarantees you any success unless your name is like Angry Birds. But yeah. um, it you know there everything helps. There's no it doesn't definitely doesn't hurt to take advantage of. I mean there are new customers that are looking for stuff. We see bumps in sales when a new device comes out because there are new people coming to the platform. So. Um, you know, Christmas is huge. It's, it's kind of funny because Apple has this reporting system that they, that we as developers get access to that give us our stats every day and they shut it down christmas week every year right and it's i don't it seems strange that you shut down an online service it's not like there's some guy like tabulating these things in the back but (laughs) anyway they 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 shut it down it literally does feel like they like the server has to take a vacation i don't understand why they do it but they do it and so you don't know how many copies you sold uh, over christmas eve christmas and you know those couple days until like three or four days later and they are by far the biggest sales days of the year and so you see this, you have, it's just this strange, you know, you, the one time when you want your stats and they're, you know, they're sleeping. So it's, it's bizarre, but that's, <laughs> that's the way, you know, Apple's Apple. They do weird stuff sometimes.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, well, yeah. So, sorry. I, no, I totally you, you got lost in the
1: question. You mentioned that you're working on the next update and you're constantly updating it. I'm wondering, is it, is it a challenge to never really be done? With, with the technology changing constantly, I'm, I imagine that you're working on this constantly and that as soon as you get done with an update, you're thinking about the next one.
0: Yeah, it's, that's it's true to some degree. Uh, I have a long list of potential features that may or may not end up in future versions. There is a constant drumbeat. The, the mobile stuff is changing so quickly that there is always new stuff. Uh, the, the way sort of on the Apple side, you know, they have devices that come out at certain, usually certain times of year, and then they have you know, usually new software that comes out at a certain time of the year, and with that comes a whole bunch of new capabilities. And so every time they do that, it's like, oh, I could use this new thing to do this. Wouldn't that be great? And um, you know, so a good example of that is Apple introduced the service that they call iCloud, which is basically this... not to define what a cloud service is, but basically it lets devices... the different devices communicate with each other through their centralized system. And so for as far as Vegas made is concerned, we have this idea of trips that you can add stuff to and create a trip plan. And this is a great, you know, I was like, well, this, I could definitely use this. I can synchronize someone's trips between their iPad and their iPhone through their service. So that's an example of Apple announces a new feature. And all of a sudden I have a bunch of work to do because I know that I can use that to uh, make the product better. But I, I don't, I actually really enjoy it. It's, Part of the, one of the things I love about all of this mobile stuff, and I think it's the same on the Android side too, is it's changing so fast that it's impossible to get bored. I mean, I could just stop working on the app. It's you know, it's stable, it's fine, it, it does its job. But it, I really enjoy it and have a lot of fun doing it. So um, I uh, I definitely don't don't regret it. I mean, I want to do at some point do a complete rethink of the entire thing, and it's hard to find time to um commit to that because everything is happening so fast. But uh I I'm definitely not complaining.
1: Sure. Well it's uh it's no secret that Vegas Mate has been, to put it kindly, the inspiration for some other Vegas apps. <laughs> um so what what's your take on on competition and how do you deal with ideas that you know are yours clearly being ripped off?
0: Um yeah. Well, I don't do anything about. It. I mean, I think it's in poor taste to take someone else's idea and and redo it. Uh, but to some degree there are no original ideas in any of this stuff. I mean, we're all building on other people's work and I am looking at apps all the time to try and see how they did something to see if I can, you know, use that as inspiration for one of my own features. I think sort of the line there is how much you're taking and how much you're copying. I mean, copying and inspiration are two different things, right? They may be in the same ballpark, but they're not the same. And when I see something that is uh, basically a really poorly done copy of something I've done, I am not a fan of it, um, but I have, in terms of taking actual action against it, nothing other than complaining. Um, Fortunately, in this case... Uh, there's one app in particular that uh, aped things pretty significantly. I, you know, as far as I can tell, they have not found commercial success. And so that's made it easier. If there was a competitor that had copied something directly and then became wildly successful, that would maybe complicate things a little Mm -hmm. bit. And I, maybe I would have a different reaction, but since that hasn't happened, I can only guess, I, you know, I think people should do their own work. I think just, you know, I, 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 there's so many different ways to do stuff. The platform has uh, so many great features and different things that you could build in. You know, impress me with something that you build. Don't recreate something that I did in a really piss poor way.
1: Fair enough. Well, I know that I would probably get heat if I didn't ask the question that you're asked so frequently. And I I, I know you're probably tired of answering it. No, I can't
0: get you a free room.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, not that one. I'm speaking, of course, of the Android question. Oh, yeah, sure. What uh, for the record would you like to address? Yeah, sure.
0: So you know, here's the deal with Android. Android is incredibly successful. Um, it's on a million devices. It's you know they're they're selling. I think Google announced recently maybe seven hundred and fifty thousand activations a day. Maybe eight. I mean, a huge, a huge number. So it's out there. Um, I I track Android. And stuff that's happening in the Android community pretty closely, mostly because I just have a general interest in technology. Um, I have an Android phone, though it's uh, it's an older one now um, compared to uh, you know what they're shipping these days. But I, I've definitely spent some time playing with it and to get a feel for it. Um, the when I first started doing Vegasmate and I got questions about Android. Originally, it was, you know, it, it was an easy answer because it's like, I have a limited amount of time and the platform didn't have enough people using it to make it worth my while. So now that's obviously changed. The second part, um, the first part though has not changed. I still have a very limited amount of time. And so my outlook on this has changed somewhat. Um, Vegas, Vegas made an iOS is very successful at least, but you know, in terms of how I'm benchmarking it, I'm very happy with how it's selling. And so... I use iOS devices. I, that's what I use all day for my own use. So I know them. I know how they're supposed to work. I know, spend a lot of time with, with other apps and see how they're built. And so I feel like I have a real um, understanding of what makes a good iOS app and what doesn't. And I really don't feel like I have that on Android. I don't use it anywhere near enough to be able to intuitively tell you, uh, you know, this is how you make a great Android app. These are the things that you need to, that you need to go for to make it happen. So at this point I can't, I don't see building an Android version of iOS. I get the question all the time and I'm flattered by the fact that people, uh, that have Android devices for, you know, whatever reason, maybe they prefer Android or maybe they got it from work or whatever reason they have their Android device. Um, I'm flattered by the fact that they ask. There are some technical challenges with supporting Android. I mean, there are so many different Android phones that have, a lot of different properties like different screen sizes, different processors, different all kinds of stuff. And for me, I want to produce a product that I knows of the quality level that I'm looking for. And so other than getting like a hundred different Android phones and testing them all, I don't know how I would do that in a practical sense. Um, so it's hard for me to imagine doing an Android version anywhere in the near future. I uh, never say never, but I just don't see it. And unless my own interests shift, um, it's hard for me to... There's so much stuff I want to do for the iOS version. I just can't imagine... And there are other projects I want to do, too, that aren't Vegas-made. So I just can't... I can't imagine doing it. Now, that said, uh, you know, if there's some enterprising crack Android programmer out there that wants to talk about uh, maybe some kind of partnership, I would definitely be willing to entertain the notion. Because I think there's definitely a market. I get questions all the time. From people, I don't know how big it is, but there are different people out there that want it. I don't know what the competition's like on Android. I know that uh, the hotels, you know, they do their their um, one per property apps, and they have them on both platforms. So those mm-hmm. are definitely out there for Android. I don't know about some of the m- more direct competition, the people that are doing the similar apps to Vegas Mate. But um, so I, it's not impossible, but I, I can't imagine a world where I'm building an Android version of Vegas Mate anywhere in my immediate future.
1: All right. Well, between the website and the blog and the podcast and the app, there you, you've got your hands in a lot of Vegas-related things, and I, I, I would assume that the majority of them are done out of uh, as as labors of love, but. You know the the number of hours you've spent in them probably far exceed the income you've taken in. So Mm. I'm wondering how how do you view all this stuff? You mentioned raid Vegas as kind of a hobby on steroids. Do you consider this stuff a hobby? Is it your job? Is it a hobby with full time potential? Where where does it all fit?
0: Um, Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I you know it's I it's funny. I don't think about it in those terms as much as I should. I think about it in those terms mostly when I get asked. Um, but as far as my own day to day life, I, I don't really think about it that much. I mean, the the website itself has always been what I would call a hobby on steroids. It uh, you know it has some advertising on it, and it does okay, but definitely not something. Unless I was going to move to a van down by the river, I would not be able to support myself on what the website does. Um, it's, so it's definitely a labor of love and, and, you know, honestly, as my love has shifted more towards mobile stuff, I, the, the website has basically remained unchanged for a while now. And it probably, I don't, you know, I'm, I think visually it looks fine. I, I'm, I don't spend very much time working on the website itself other than, um, as it needs to be changed to support, uh, new Vegas mate features. Uh, the blog is definitely a labor of love. Like it, you know, it's not a profitable thing for me at all. Um, I, I do it because I like writing because I like the comments that people leave, um, on the blog. I think it's fun to do. I, you know, I've actually thought about just taking all the advertising off cause the advertising there is just doesn't really do anything. So I don't, you know, it may make sense just to get rid of the advertising on the blog altogether. Um, the podcast is similar. We've never even tried to get ads for the podcast. Um, and I, so I don't know if we could or what that would look like, but we do it for fun. And part of that, actually, in some, in some I don't think there's anything wrong with podcasts being sponsored. I mean, I've sponsored your podcast. Most of the podcasts I listen to are sponsored. Um, so I don't have anything against that idea at all. But uh, we've just never done it. Uh, so Vegas Mate is turned into a different category. I thought that Vegas Mate was going to... Um, you know, sort of maybe be an extension of uh, the website and be a fun project. But it's really, it's done, continues to do quite well and continues to grow. It's definitely not my full-time job, um, but it's far exceeded my expectations uh, and continues to do well. So I'm really happy about that and, I do spend a lot of time working on it and I don't break out my hours and try and figure out uh, how that all works out. I just know that, you know, it, it's doing well and I'm happy with how it's doing and um, I am enjoying the time that I'm putting into it and I have a lot of ideas for uh, what to what's coming next.
1: Care to share any of them? No. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I had a feeling that was the answer, but I had to ask. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess not, not app-specific, but um, just... You know I've mentioned the website the blog, the podcast, the app any other forum or outlet you're are you are you planning on becoming a holographic tour guide of love? <laughs> is, there, is there any other formats that you're looking at are you going to become the master of google plus uh hangouts <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: I don't think i i'm I think I'm at my time limit wise as far as um i don't I can't imagine adding another thing to my schedule. there are already a couple of other non uh, Vegas related projects that have basically been put on in hibernation because i've i've 've reached that point for a long time I kept piling on new projects here and there i 've reached the point now where i just don 't have any extra time so um, I cannot imagine adding anything to my stable of responsibilities i do there's there is another app that I did for a while a really simple quiz app called Vegas quiz that I've actually taken off the store uh, because i started redoing it. I want to do another version of that. That is, um, uh, works on both the iPad and the iPhone and is a little bit more in depth and extensive, but just, again, it's a really simple concept. It's just sort of a photo quiz type app, but it was fun. Uh, and so I want to extend that. And, uh, and I'm hoping that at some point I'll find enough time to finish that. But, um, no, I, you know, I don't imagine any holographic tour guiding in my, uh, <laughs> in my immediate future, though, you know, if, if you've got a great offer, I'm always willing to, uh, to listen.
1: I will talk. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that is all I've got for you. I, I, this has been great. I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you about this and, uh, it's been quite an honor. So thanks for asking me to do this. No,
0: of course. Um, I think, thank you. I mean, you know, thank you for taking all the time to do all the prep and for sitting here with me to do it. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. My pleasure. All right, Mr. Dressen, um, I think we're done for the day. Uh, Thank you all listeners out there in podcast land for, um, you know, I don't know if I can say that this is the smartest podcast on the entire internet. The host's questions were very smart, but I don't don't know if I can live up to that (laughs) banner, but uh, you know, it's sort of a tongue in cheek distinction anyway. So I guess, uh, I guess we'll go with it. Um, Yeah. So anyway, thanks again. And uh, we'll be back with a regular Vegas gang uh, episode next time around but uh hope you guys uh, are still awake and um you know we'll see you again soon